want to say good afternoon. Off to a better start already, Ian. <laughs> we are excited about the opportunity we have to be with you and um, thankful for you for the invitation. Um, thankful that I was able to bring my family, uh, my wife and kids with us, and uh, we're here to serve and to work with you guys this week. So uh, if there's anything that we can do to encourage you, um, if there's any visits that uh, you would like for us to make, um, my wife is available. I'll be available. Um, we just want to leave here on Wednesday when we're done, um, hopefully encouraging you in your walk with Christ and encouraging you as a congregation to, to keep the faith um, and to continue doing the valuable work that you're doing in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, to this community. You know, this morning we talked about a lot of problems and a lot of struggles, a lot of challenges that, that we're faced with in this life. This afternoon, I want to talk about the reason that all those struggles are worth suffering through. Uh, why all the, the difficulties and challenges we face are worth it in the end. And I want to talk about heaven. I don't think we talk about heaven enough. Uh, I think if we are the children of God, we understand this world is not our home. We sing that hymn, then we need to know about the place that we really belong in. And the place that we long to go to. Um, because I think it's a great motivator. I think when I think about this life and uh, the challenges and all the things that we face, heaven is the great escape. And one day heaven is going to be that reality for those who are faithful to Jesus Christ. And we need to know everything we can that the scriptures reveal to us about that eternal home. So I want to start and I want to look at Revelation 21. And not just because it gives us man's attempt to give a physical description of that dwelling place of God. Uh, we could also go to the book of Isaiah in chapter 6 and look at what Isaiah got to see around the throne of God. Um, but I want to start in Revelation 21 because the whole point of the book of Revelation was to encourage those Christians in the first century to be faithful unto God. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10 uh, the writer uh, records there, be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. And those Christians were going to face persecution like you and I may never experience or see. Uh, they were going to go through challenges and difficulties that were going to truly test their faithfulness to God. They were going to have government come into their homes and into their places of worship and tell them and ask them, do you profess and follow this man, Jesus Christ? And based upon their confession of following him, they may lose their life. Their families could have been captured, taken into captivity, beaten, abused. Think about the Christians that were hung on crosses to light uh, the streets upon the Roman Empire for chariot races. And you, you think about the things they were going through and what God is writing to them in the book of Revelation was encouragement. That even if you suffer at the hands of this oppressive government, even if you suffer and you're persecuted for your faith, at the end of it all, it's worth it. And he closes out the book of Revelation there in chapter 21 with a glimpse of that eternity. So Revelation 21, beginning in verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. 
And he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, right for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now that last verse, verse 8, is not very encouraging. But the reality is this, if heaven is real, so is hell. If there's an eternal reward, there must of necessity be an eternal punishment. And God is not uh, confusing. Uh, God is not hard to understand when it comes to those who will not enter into the holy city that he has prepared for those who would dwell with him forever. Now that ought to motivate us, not just because we don't want to go to hell, but because we truly want to be in the presence of our creator. That we have a home that we need to be looking forward to. And this afternoon, I want you to consider what heaven is worth to you. Y'all, I'm 41 years old. And about 20 years ago, we were at a meeting similar to this. It happened in the summertime, and there were a lot of young people there. And late one night, all of the guys were staying in a pool house, and there was a, I guess, a, a wall separating one bedroom from another, but there was, the wall did not go to deck, so you could kind of hear what was going on in the room next to you. And I was laying in bed, it was about one in the morning, and a, a big voice came from the other room and said, hey, Chase. And I said, what, Ben? <laughs> he said, do you ever think about heaven? And I said, not at one o'clock in the morning, Ben. I'm trying to go to sleep and get some rest. We got a lot of stuff. He said, do you ever just think about heaven? And I said, not really. And he said, well, I think about it a lot. And I said, well, why do you think about heaven? I said, is it because you have family members who you believe are there waiting for you? He said, that's part of it. He said, but more than anything, I just want to see Jesus. And Ben was just a few years older than me. He was about 24, 25 at the time. And that stuck with me all these years. That, you know, I walk around in this life, in this world, and I call myself a, a, a Christian. I say I'm a child of God. I say that I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. But I don't ever think about where he is right now. Now, I understand his Holy Spirit dwells within us and we study his word and he is in us through that word and through that spirit. But you know, my eyes have never seen Jesus. And I would think if I'm gonna be a disciple or a follower of someone, at some point, my desire ought to be that, you know what, I'll be able to see him. And Ben made that point to me that night that stuck with me all these years. And we don't think about heaven enough. Now, we think about it at funerals. We think about it when we lose loved ones. 
But just in our daily life, we probably get so caught up in what's going on in this world and in our life and the decisions we have to make that we don't really give heaven the proper consideration that it's worth. Because you know what? Those Christians in the first century, you know what? They probably thought about heaven every day. Because they knew at any moment in time, their life could come to an end. And you know what they wanted more than anything? You see, they weren't concerned about building a life here. They were concerned about that eternity with God. And they knew Jesus had made them a great and wonderful promise. That if they would stay true and faithful to him, no matter what suffering, no matter what pain, no matter what agony they might have to go through here on this earth, there was a great promise of a place that was far better than anything they could establish here. But you know what? We're in America today. And we're comfortable. And our answer to are you ready to go to heaven typically is this. I want to go to heaven, but not right now. (laughs) Brethren, if that's your perspective on life, you don't know what heaven is. If you think anything you could have in this life compares to what heaven is, then you really don't know what it is and you don't understand what God has prepared for you. Because if we really did, we would all have the same perspective of the Apostle Paul that it's far greater and better for me to go be with the Lord. But we get trapped and entangled by the thoughts and the comforts of this reality. Yet the Bible tells us our conversation and manner of life ought to represent a different place. Philippians chapter 3, beginning of verse 17 says, Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as you have us as an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often and I tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. You see, heaven and that heavenly perspective ought to filter into our life and reality while we're here on this earth. He says our manner of living ought to represent something greater and beyond what we see in this carnal physical world. You know, isn't that why Jesus talked about laying up treasure for ourselves in heaven? He said, you think and you dwell and you focus on things that are heavenly because this world is temporary. And I know we think temporary and we say, well, I'll probably live till 70 or 80. You know what? I used to think 60 was old. 60 is not very old anymore, Franklin. You hit 40, you start to realize I'm in the middle of that life. And you start looking at your kids and they're graduating high school and hitting, hitting these milestones and they're starting to have relationships with other people and it hits you that you know what? My time is passing. And whatever life I'm living, as important as we think these things here on this earth are, my focus has to be on the spiritual eternal things of God. My lifestyle ought to reflect that. But when we're too busy heaping up treasures for ourselves here, and we're so caught up in trying to be what we can be here on this earth, what we're doing is saying, you know what, God, heaven sounds good and all, but I've got it pretty good here. So let me accomplish all my goals here, and then I'll retire into heaven. You know, it doesn't matter how good your life is here. 
heaven's better. It doesn't matter how comfortable you can be, how much money you can store up for yourself, how nice a home you can have, how nice a vehicle you can drive, the the winter Texan home you have down in South Texas with us. All those things are great and wonderful, nothing wrong with those things, but if those are the things that motivate and and drive you, then you're never going to truly value heaven. And your life is not representative of the kingdom of which you belong. You see, our lifestyle ought to be different and it ought to be spiritual and heavenly in its nature. You see, heaven is a reward. Now I know we live in the culture where everybody's a winner and everybody gets a participation trophy. You know, they didn't used to have those. This is the old man Chase speaking. You know what? When I played sports growing up, you had one team that won the championship. In high school, we were in a five-team district, and guess how many teams in that district went to the playoffs? One team. You had to win the district to go to the playoffs. I heard of a team last year. They won one game, and they went to the playoffs, and it wasn't even a district game. They didn't even win a district game, and they went to the playoffs. How is that even possible? But we want everybody to participate, everybody to be included. We had a family kickball night the other night with our homeschool association. I was in charge of organizing the kickball game. You know what? It was tied and it was getting dark and I wanted to play extra innings because I don't like tying. Someone has to win. There has to be a winner and a loser. And all the homeschool moms said, no, just make it a tie. It'll be fine. It wasn't fine. Someone needs to win. You see, we've lost perspective. I want to tell you, heaven's a reward. And not everyone is going to get that reward. You see, if if heaven wasn't a reward and everybody was going to end up getting it, then Jesus would have said so. But Jesus taught something much different. He actually proclaimed that it was a reward. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 11, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your what? Reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. You see, heaven's a reward for what? It's for faithfulness. It's a reward for endurance. It's a reward for service. Now, I want to tell you, we can't do enough good works to earn heaven apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. But rest assured, your life and your works that you do certainly contribute to whether you will receive that reward or not. You see, Jesus died and gave a free will offering to mankind and said, you know what? You can dwell with me forever. And the test is going to be how you live your life. Are you living your life in such a way that you believe you'll reap the reward of heaven? You see, these brethren that we read about in Revelation, they were struggling not to overcome the challenges that you and I talk about today but they were willing to lay their life on the line on a daily basis because ultimately they trusted in the promise of Christ that that reward was worth it. You see, heaven is God's dwelling place. 
If you go to 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 22 through 30, you read a prayer. And in that prayer, there's a description of God's dwelling place and his habitation. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, Jesus said it this way. He said, after this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's the dwelling place of God. Why would that not be the greatest motivator for us to go and be there one day? That Jesus, as he's teaching his disciples how to pray, he said, here's how you pray. Our Father, which art in heaven. You see, he gives us sonship and daughtership as his children. And he says, he is in heaven. And guess what? We ought to want to go and be where he's at. But too often... We act like heaven is just an extension of the best things that we might enjoy here on this earth. I'll tell you, heaven's nothing like this earth. You're not going to play golf every day in heaven. It's not a, a grand party in heaven every day. You know, the thing that we probably do that gives us the greatest glimpse of heaven is what we just participated in before this lesson got started is when we sing praises to God. And I look around the audience and I see people mumbling. I see people not even looking, not even singing, people on their cell phones while the church is praising and worshiping God. Guess what? You're not gonna like it in heaven if you don't like singing praises with God's people today because we're gonna be around his throne <laughs> And we're going to be praising and worshiping him for eternity. You don't get your own little cabin with your own little family and then get to enjoy all that. And then say, well, you know, we'll go and worship with everybody whenever it's convenient. But we kind of have our own little corner of heaven. No, we're all together because there is no, what, family, marriage, relationships in that land. But we're all brothers and sisters. And the focus is not even on us and our desires. Our focus is on our father. And on our Savior. I want to tell you, if you don't like singing and worshiping and praising God, you're not going to like heaven. So guess what that means we need to do? We need to change our perspective. <laughs> we need to value our praise. We need to value our time of worship. We need to value the things that God says are important to him. You know, if Jesus spoke about heaven, we have to take him at his word. And you think about what Jesus, who Jesus was and what it is that he knew. He knew all. Acts 1 and verse 24. He raised the dead. He healed the sick. He calmed the seas. He walked on water. He rose from the dead. And if he talked about this eternal home where God dwelt, we have to have faith in the words of Christ that that place is there. And if that place is there and that's where Jesus dwells and that's where my father is, then by all means, I have to do whatever I have to do to make sure that I'm going to be there with them. Are you focused on heaven or are you distracted by your life here? See, heaven should mean everything. And here's why. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all these things would be added unto you. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. What is the kingdom of God? We know that's his church. You know what heaven is? 
the heaven is his church glorified. I want to tell you, you need to value assembling with your brethren. You need to value worshiping God. You need to value supporting other works and other places when they have meetings because doing those things shows that you have a heavenly perspective because where else would you want to be? You know what? There's a football game going to kick off here in just a little bit. And the Dallas Cowboys are going to play. That may not mean anything to y'all, but in our house, we're Dallas Cowboy fans. But you know, when church is going on, there's no question of what we're going to be focused on in our home. Harvester football, it's pretty important around here, right? I know, Trent, I know it's very important. But you know, is it more important than assembling and worshiping with God's people? It's not. And the things you value in your home, the the priorities you make in your home are going to determine whether your children value heaven or they value something here on this earth. I want to tell you all it takes is one time. All it takes is one time for you to sacrifice an opportunity to worship with God's people to go do something else. And guess what your kids are going to learn? They're going to learn mom and dad's values really aren't set on eternal things and spiritual things because they're willing to compromise. Be very careful of the decisions you make and make sure that heaven is something that your home is focused upon. Jesus said that's where God dwelt and if that's where God is, that's where we want to be and we need to set up our homes and our congregations and our lives in such a way that there's no mistaking where we are heading and what our ultimate goal in life is. You see, Jesus made a promise. In John chapter 14, beginning of verse one, Jesus told his disciples, he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions, many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there, you may be also. You know how valuable heaven is for Jesus? You know how valuable it was to him that you would be there? He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now I know that's collectively the you of all the disciples. And Jesus would speak those same words to us collectively this afternoon. But I want you to make that personal. (laughs) That Jesus said, I am going to prepare a place for Dwayne. I'm going to prepare a place for Nathan. I'm going to prepare a place for Deb. I'm going to prepare a place for Kelly. I'm going to prepare a place. You get the picture. Because your individual soul mattered that much to God. That he would go and prepare a place. And that preparing a place doesn't mean he's in heaven constructing some grand abode for you to go. He already prepared the place. You know how he did it? On a cross. When he was on that cross and he cried out, it is finished, guess what? His work was done. He had poured himself out. He had been the perfect sacrifice and now it was in the hands of the father to raise him victorious over death three days later. And when that happened, heaven was opened. See, Jesus prepared that place. 
and he prepared it so that one day we could be there with him. He made that promise and he's going to keep his word because he's reserved a spot. Now I want you to think about reservations for a second. I don't take my wife to many restaurants that require a reservation. Occasionally on a special occasion, we'll have to call ahead and request a table at a restaurant in McAllen. And you know what we do? We call and we say, hey, can we get a table Friday night at 7 o'clock? They say, yeah, we'll put down your reservation. You know what happens? We drive over to McAllen. We get to the restaurant. We walk into the hostess and she says, do you have a reservation? And we say, yes. Well, what's your name? Palmer, party of two. You know what she says? Right this way, your table's waiting. You know why? Because we made a reservation. (laughs) Now, if we had just walked up, what would they have said? Maybe have to wait an hour or we're too booked tonight. We don't even have time. We're just full of reservations. You can't eat here. But we made a reservation. And that means that table is specially held for us. You know heavens are full of places that are reserved You know who they're reserved for? The Bible tells us. 1 Peter chapter 1 beginning of verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. And then he qualifies the you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So not only is it the dwelling place of God, not is it a place that Jesus promised to go prepare, he says, I've reserved it for you. And if you don't make it, I want to tell you, it's not God's fault. Because that reservation at the restaurant can be made. But you know what? Elizabeth and I can change our mind and not keep that reservation. And we can go do something else, can't we? And even though that reservation is made, it was made in vain. Because we didn't keep the reservation. See, Jesus has done his part. He's kept his promise. He's delivered and promised or delivered upon his promise to make sure that there's a place prepared for you. And that that place is reserved. And how sad would it be if you didn't keep that reservation? Now, I really was about eight years old when I learned what a reservation really was. Growing up in Royce City, I was born in Plano. We went to Texas Ranger baseball games every summer. And I think every year we would go to between six and ten games on a given year. And at the old Arlington Stadium, not the ballpark that some of you think is the old stadium because they have a new one now, though there was one before that that we went to, the entire outfield were bleacher seats. And you know what those seats were called? They were called general admission. You know what that meant? You had to get there early. You got a general admission ticket and you walked out to the outfield and wherever there was an empty space, that was your seat. So we always would try to get there a couple hours before the game so we could really pick out good seats. But you know, if I got up from that seat and went to the concession stand or went to the bathroom, guess what could happen? Somebody else could come and sit in that seat. And I'd say, hey, you're in my seat. And he'd say, man, this is general admission. You sit wherever you find a spot. So we would try to carve out our own little spot and we wouldn't leave because that's where we wanted to sit. And I remember being eight years old and I was sitting out in the outfield with dad in left field and I looked across at the third baseline and I said, dad, look at those seats. I said, they're all individual chairs. 
I said, what are those? And he said, those are expensive. That's what those are. <laughs> and I said, no, no. I said, but how do you get tickets over there? He's like, well, you buy them. They're called reserve seats. And I said, well, that would be nice. And he said, yeah, it would. Because <laughs> at that time, with a Dr. Pepper can, you could get into general admission for $3. So guess what we did? We sat general admission. One day, Dad picked me up after school and said, hey, we're going to the Ranger game tonight. Get in. We got in, and we headed to the stadium. We got out. And I start walking toward the left field gate, which we always went into. And he said, no, 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 we got to go to home plate. I was like, why do we got to go in the home plate gate? He said, just go to the home plate gate. All right, so we walked and went in the gate. He showed his tickets, gave them back to him. We went in, and I'm starting to walk to the outfield. He said, no, come right here. I said, what are we doing? He found an usher and said, hey, can you help us find these seats? He said, oh, yes, sir, right away. And he took us and said, you're in section 121. You're in row J, seats three and four. And I looked at my dad and said, are you my dad? <laughs> what happened? He said, I just wanted you to know what it was like to have a reserved seat. And I think they were like $10 or $12, which is a lot of money. And I remember sitting there in that seat and I said, now nah, I can get up and go and nobody else is going to come sit here. Nope. I said, you're sure? He said, it's your seat. You have the ticket for that seat. I think I got up every inning and went to the, just, just to test it out. And you know what? If somebody had been in that seat, all I had to do was show the usher, hey, that's my seat. And they would have kicked them out and given me my seat because it was reserved for me. Are you going to keep your reservation in heaven? So I want to tell you, as a child of God, there's a seat around his throne that's got your name on it. And God wants more than anything for you to be in that seat around his throne with his people, praising and worshiping him forever. He wants more than anything to wipe away all the tears. He wants more than anything to take away the pain. He wants more than anything to give you joy and peace that's unimaginable. But we gotta keep that reservation. And I hope and pray that every one of you is around that throne. And I hope and pray every one of you is living every single day in such a way that that reservation is going to be kept and your seat in heaven is going to be filled. And you're going to be part of that holy nation crying out before God. Because he wants that for you. You see, heaven is a place of refuge. You think about what we read there in Revelation. He said, no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, behold, I make all things new. Do you ever need that? Do you ever need a place of refuge? I want to tell you some of the work that I get to be involved with. At the end of the day, I need a place of refuge. The children that we work with, that our hands are working every single day to try to help give them some semblance of a normal life, you deal with a lot of garbage. And there's times I come home, I know I have a glazed look on my face and my wife can tell you, you just need a refuge. 
You just need somewhere to go. And sometimes I need somewhere to go and cry. Sometimes I need to go somewhere and just yell. Sometimes I need to just go somewhere and sit in silence because it's overwhelming. You've probably been there. I want to tell you, we have a place of refuge. It's his church. Where you're at today, this is your refuge from the world. This is the place we can come and you know what? We can share the stories. We can share the pain. I can pour my heart out to you as my brethren. And I know through the power of Jesus Christ, those tears will be wiped away. Not that all the pain of this life and existence magically, mystically goes away, but you know what? I have a place of refuge where I can get help. And the problem is we look everywhere else to get help and the greatest help we never even access. You think this world can solve your problems that you have in this life? It can't, but the kingdom of God can. It's your place of refuge. You need to make it your home and your place that you go when you're hurting. Job 14, one says, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Revelation 14 and 13, I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the spirit that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. You know, a lot of the things that we do in this life are vain. A lot of the work that we contribute to and we spend our time doing, at the end of it, the Bible tells us this world and the works that are in it are going to be burned up. But there are some works that are eternal. And I believe the work that we do that's of a spiritual nature for the kingdom of God and for the church and spreading the gospel and encouraging people to be stronger disciples for him, I believe that work lasts forever. And that work follows us into that eternity with God. And that work is not in vain and God recognizes that work and that work will be rewarded. But you and I have to be busy doing that work. And I want to tell you, that work is tiring. That work is exhausting. That work is stressful. That work is hard and difficult. But you know what? We got eternity to rest. We need to make sure our life is poured out for Christ so at the end of it, there's nothing left. And we can truly say, you know what? I've done the best I could. I've poured myself out for my Lord. And then we can rest. You know, it's hard to rest when you haven't worked hard. But when you work hard, rest is sweet, isn't it? And think about that eternal rest is going to be worth it if we're working for him today. And the final point this afternoon is heaven's our home. Heaven's our home. What was God's intent from the beginning with Adam and Eve? You know, his intent was for them to live forever. He gave them access to the tree of life. And gave them a simple command not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and to keep the garden. And as long as they did those things, what? They dwelled with God. And that's what God desired. 
But then they sinned. They gave in to temptation. And what happened? There was a loss of that relationship. And then the rest of the story is God reconciling man through Jesus Christ back to himself so that he can have what he originally intended to have, which is an eternal relationship, not temporary like we have on this earth. And this afternoon, you need to know that you have eternal life. You need to know that heaven is your home. You need to know that you trust in the promises of Jesus Christ because that's where you belong. 1 Peter 2 and verse 11 says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. You know, it's nice to go home. I love traveling. It's better when my family's with me. And I know that's an extra work and it's a lot of toll and on them, but I'm selfish. <laughs> I like to have them with me, but there's times in this work that they don't get to go. And I may be gone for two, three, four, five weeks without seeing them. And you know, as much as I love you people, <laughs> And as much as I love the brethren everywhere, you know, by the end of a work, you know where I want to go? I want to go home. Because I know when I get there, I'm going to be able to rest. As comfortable as I'm sure the bed at Ian and Toys is going to be the next few nights, it's not home. They're going to be very accommodating. They're going to be great hosts and hostess, I know, to us. And make, we're going to make ourselves at home and we're going to feel that way. But it's still nice to go home. I want to encourage you. Look forward to going to heaven. Don't get too comfortable in this life. Don't get too comfortable thinking that you're going to do this and that and have all these grand and glorious plans. You know what your plans need to be? Fear God and keep his commandments. Solomon said that's the whole duty of man. And then in the end, you get to be with him for all of eternity. Philippians 1 and verse 21 says, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I want not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Was there any mistaking where Paul <laughs> placed his value? Where Paul invested for his future? There's no doubting it, is there? There's no question. What did he say? He said, I'm in a straight betwixt two because in all honesty, here's the problem. Going to heaven is far better for me. Far better. And we would look at the Apostle Paul's life and say, oh, yeah, well, he had shipwreck and he was persecuted. He was beaten. And, well, yeah, heaven's better for him. I don't care if you're a CEO of a multi-billion dollar organization and you have the nicest house in town and all your kids are healthy and everything's great and you're enjoying this life. I want to tell you, heaven's better. Doesn't matter what you have here. Heaven isn't just something for the poor and downtrodden to have hope in. Heaven is for all of the children of God to place their hope and faith in. And we have to be motivated and focused on that destination every single day and live accordingly. Now, 
Ian asked me before services if this was my hat. And I said, yes, it is. It's an old tractor supply hat. I want you to get a look at this hat. Brother Monty, how much do you think this hat's worth? How much do you think you could buy this hat for at tractor supply? How much? Five bucks? What do you think, Brother Tim? Fifteen? Lonnie? Twelve, fifteen? Thought we were going to have an auction here. We were going in the right direction for a minute. Now, what if I told you this hat you can buy on the rack at Tractor Supply for four ninety nine? You don't win, Monty. You went over <laughs> four dollars and ninety nine cents all day long. And you know what? Tractor Supply is happy to sell them for four dollars and ninety nine cents. You know why? Made in China, <laughs> shipped on the shelf, all in. About a dollar and ten is what they have in this hat. So when they sell it for four ninety nine, they're making money, right? So you know what? You know Ian could offer me five dollars for this hat, and you know what I'm going to tell Ian? Go fly a kite. <laughs> you can't have this hat for five dollars. Franklin may hear the conversation. Man, that's a nice hat, Chase. I'll give you twenty dollars. You know what this world would tell me? Take the $20, right? Go buy yourself another one. You can go buy another one for $5. You're going to make $15 on that deal. And my carnal, earthly mind says, you know what, Chase? Take him up on offer. Take the $20. But I'm going to have to say, Franklin, sorry, I'm not going to give this hat to you for $20. Van may say, I really like that hat, Mr. Chase. I'm going to give you $100 for that hat. He's going to ask his dad if he can borrow $100. I know. <laughs> and I'm going to say, Van, I like you, but... I'm sorry you can't have this hat. You know, I've challenged congregations and, and people. I've preached this sermon a few other places, and I've even said, you know what, you could offer me $1,000 for this hat today, and I'd tell you no. Here's the big one. You could write me a check with your local bank on it, signed and filled out, hand it to me, for $10,000, try me after church. I've never had somebody take me up on it, but try me. And guess what I'm going to tell you? I'm sorry. I can't sell you this hat for $10,000. And you're going to say, Chase, you are a fool. <laughs> $10,000? But I'd tell you no. You know why? This hat's worth more to me than any of you. Worth more to me than it would be to any of you. Let me say that again. <laughs> it's worth more to me. That's an important two-letter word. To me than it would be to any of you. And here's why. I lost my granddad. It's been about three years ago now. And my granddad was the most stable Christian influence in my life. And I didn't even realize it until I got older. I wasn't raised in the church. 
but my grandparents were faithful members. And any holiday, any time we were visiting, you know what? I went to church. That was the only exposure I had to the Lord's church was with my grandparents. And when I lost my granddad, the last conversation I remember having with him was in his front yard. And we were just talking about random things. But this hat was on his head. He passed away and my grandmother said, Chase, I need you to preach your granddad's funeral. And I said, don't do that to me. And she said, if there's any way to do it, we want you to. And I did it. We went back to the house after that. And my grandmother said, I need all you boys to come with me. She took us back to his closet. I'll tell you, this wasn't the only tractor supply. He bought every one he ever saw, I think. And she said, I want you all to grab a hat. And this is the one I picked. It's fabric made in China. Cost them a dollar ten cents. They sell it for four ninety nine. But to me, you can't put a price on it. Because I'll always remember how important this hat is to me. Now, that's a token of my granddad's life that I want to hang on to. How valuable is heaven to you? Would you sell your eternity? And I know we wouldn't sell it for any dollar amount. That'd be foolish. But you know, Satan doesn't come tempting us saying, hey, give me your soul, I'll give you $5,000. What he does is he operates through sin. And he operates through distraction. And he operates tempting us to walk away from our faith and give up something that ought to be the most valuable thing within our possession. And brethren, rest assured, heaven's in our possession. He says you lay hold on eternal life. That means you have it within your grasp and you don't ever let it go. Maybe you're here this afternoon and you haven't been focused on your eternity with God. I want to encourage you, get that focus back. Heaven's a wonderful place. And it's not wonderful because my granddad is there and I hope and pray he's there. And one day I will get to see him again. I want to tell you it's a wonderful place because my Lord is there. And I'm going to be able to see him face to face and thank him for sacrificing himself for my sins so that I could reap that reward forever. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to go. And if you're not ready to go today, something in your life needs to change. And maybe it's because there's sin in your heart and in your life and you know right now you're not right with God. And if you were to die or something tragic were to happen or the Lord himself was to return, that you would miss that eternity. God is gracious and merciful and he's giving you an opportunity every day to come back. And guess what? Your place is still there. And he wants you to be at home with him. Make heaven your home. If you need to be baptized so your sins can be washed away, so that you can claim that eternity and that eternal life through Jesus Christ, do that. It's a simple process. 
Through faith, you obey the gospel. You're born again of the water and the spirit, and you arise to walk in the newness of life, and you inherit the promises of Christ. And we want to encourage you to do that because you know why? We want you to go to heaven. We want everyone in this community to go to heaven. And one day, you can mock and ridicule. (laughs) You can act like that day is never going to come. But one day, you're going to stand before your creator and give account. And I hope and pray you hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the pleasures of your Lord.